Robinson on. He's and and it's goal of the season, Frank Murphy. Juliano Grazioli. Oh, absolute quality. I'm sure most people would say I was mad. Oh, Ryan Hello and welcome to another episode of the Downhill Second Half Podcast. Joining me, Ian DL, a man as adept at sorting out errors in recording as Gary Breen somehow was at organising that shaky Barnet backline. It's our podcast producer, James Harrison. Hello, everybody. How's it going? And alongside him, a singer-songwriter extraordinaire, but perhaps his finest work came not in the studio, but in his contribution away at Lincoln City on the opening day of the 2009-10 season. Another chant that somehow didn't make it. Yannick to the left of me, Albert to the right. Here I am, hide in the middle with Hughes. Absolute genius. It's Mr. Craig Clayton. Still can't believe that didn't catch on. That's such a tune. We'll hear more about that later. Uh, the original words that are clowns to the left of me, jokers to the right, which uh, seems quite apt for this show. But uh, not when it comes <laughs> to our guest today, certainly. A little bit hard uh, now. <laughs> <laughs> And so I'm very excited to welcome our guest today. Um, in his own words, in his famous post-Burton interview, I'm just delighted to welcome him onto this podcast. Possibly the greatest escape artist of them all. A key figure in our final day survivals in 2010, 2011 and 2012. We didn't have him with us the following season and look how that ended. A battling midfielder who played with real heart and passion. A true captain and someone who it was evident took pride every time he pulled on the Barnet shirt. He signed off with that iconic winner at the Pirelli Stadium to preserve league status once more, but never got the proper send-off his service deserved, until perhaps now. It's Mark Hughes. Thank you for the great introduction. Uh, a lot of work went into that, but well-deserved, certainly. Um, Mark, we'll start kind of pre-Barnet, um, and, and I suppose for you right at the beginning, because I know I believe you're from Dungannon in Northern Ireland, if that's correct. Yeah. Um, and just a little quick anecdote, we were at the Euros, myself and James, a couple of years ago, and we went to watch uh, one of the Northern Ireland games, we got tickets in the ballot, and uh, we were in a bar in Leon that night after beat Ukraine with a big group of uh, Northern Irish fans, and uh, your name came up, I think we said we're Barnet fans, Mark Hughes, and there were a load of Dungannon Swifts uh, supporters, mm-hmm. and they, they knew who you were, um, and also, is it right, you're Ryan, Ryan O'Neill's cousin, who was also a Barnet uh, around that same sort of time? We are cousins of cousins, so you could say second cousins, really. My okay. mum and his mum were full cousins. And then, um, yeah, remember, Ren, when he called me, left West Ham and I actually got him the trial. All right. You, what's happened to him now? Because he's one of those players who played for us for a little while, did quite well, and then just seems to disappear off the face of the earth. Uh, he, he went to live in America. Um, he, he ran a bar in uh, Manhattan. Wow. And, and now he actually owns the bar. His uncle pa- uh, sadly passed away a few years ago, so he runs the bar. Oh, well, no, nowhere to go for a beer forever in New York, then. That's yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Iggy's Karaoke Bar in Manhattan. Noted. <laughs> um, so pre-Barnet, you've obviously had a few spells at a few clubs. You played for Oldham for a while. Um, uh, we had a little spell at Stevenage, but we won't talk about that. You obviously re- represented your country as well uh, a couple of times in 2006, but then went on to play for Thurrock. Uh, but we perhaps remember you when you played for Chester. I certainly remember when you played for, for Chester at Underhill a few times. Um, but then you joined, uh, then you joined Barnet before that. What was, what was the whole story with the, the career leading up to that point uh, before you joined Barnet? Uh, so as Ian said, I was at Dungannon Swifts and their youth team. Um, I signed for Spurs when I was about 13 or 14. Uh, building up to that, then you would come over to 
uh, England when you leave your you do your GCSEs. So I come over just before my seventeenth birthday. At four or five years at Tottenham, was a pro. Initially went alone to Northampton for a month, which wasn't very successful. League two, and then I went to League one and found it probably easier. It was a bit got a bit more time on the ball, and I stayed at Oldham then for the eighteen months. Um, so that's how I got to playing first team football. And as I said, it was completely different to what you were used to in Tottenham reserves. But um, I loved my time at Oldham. And uh, yeah, then that followed Stevenage and back up to Chester, where I would have played against Barnet. Um, and yeah, I moved to Barnet in January '09. Is that right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. And it, I mean, it wasn't it wasn't usual for us to sign players from not the London area, really. That you know, given it's such a catchment area as well. Um, and I think you came in under Ian Hendon as well, which again was a an interesting type, quite combative player as well. And maybe that suited your style of play. But I guess I just wondered how that move from Chester down to London and that, that whole move and playing free and Hendon piece kind of came together. Um, so when I left Stevenage, we won the trophy final. I come on trial at Barnet and um, Paul Farclough was the manager. Must be no wait. And Hendo was the assistant with Lee Harrison. Um, I got the impression Hendo fancied me, Harry fancied me and Paul was a bit like, not sure. We just signed Bish who turned out to be a great player. I think Nicky Deverdix was there as well. And yeah. so you had a good midfield. So um, I didn't wait around. I went up on trial at Chester and done really well. I was super fit that year because I was disappointed to be leaving non-league football. From League One to non-league, I was like, what am I doing here? Um, so I got myself super fit and got a two-year deal up in Chester. So it was that summer before how the move come around. So when Hendo got the job, um, an agent called him actually and he said, yeah, I'll have him. Yeah, so it's, I mean, it's clear that's obviously a confidence boost for you, I guess, if you know already the manager seems to, you know, like you as a player and whatever else. Um, you know, once you arrived and you settled in, what was your relationship like with Ian Hendon as, as your manager? And, uh, you know, what was he like in terms of the training ground? And was he as scary in the changing room at half time if things weren't going as well as uh, he was when he played for Barnet? No, he, he was absolutely brilliant with me um, and Lee Harrison as well. Uh, I think you used to come up to Chester on a Tuesday night, if I remember. And we beat you convincingly, maybe three or four nil. Yeah, I was that. Yeah, I was half topped up that night. And I was like, yeah, I was getting married in the summer. My wife's from Chigwell down this way. So I was like, I was all over it. And actually at the time, I was Mark Wright Sr. Uh, was my agent. And he oh, yeah. he, play, he was doing a lot of work in around London and his brother George. And uh, went through Hendo. There was a bit going on at Chester at the time. I'm not sure if you remember. We were getting paid late. and um, The owner was great, but there was just money problems. And he said he liked Tony Cleanthos. It was there or Markham. And he went, look, don't want you to go Markham. I'll let you go back down south and you know move on. So that's how it sort of come about. But Hendo was unbelievable with me. Yeah, brilliant. I was just gutted when he got the sack out of anyone, really. It was, it was more gutted when he left. I was going to say, what was it that attracted you to to Barnet, having just beaten, having just been on the wrong end of a three 0 Tuesday night defeat? But um, oh, see, yeah, now you mention it, the whole thing at Chester, that that club's been in and out of trouble over the course of the last 15, 20 years for sure. Yeah. Um, so you joined us in January, like Craig said, and uh, I suppose like in and out of that team uh, in the first, or sorry, the second half of that season. But um, you know, you've obviously relocated from the north back down to to London. Um, did you know any of the boys when you moved into the team or did you uh, did you pick up with anyone straight away? 
and and what was the social side like with that with those boys yeah really good i think um bish was obviously there i spent a week in pre-season so i knew who he was um Birchie up front, who's uh, coach at Arsenal now, he was there that pre-season. Do you know when you, you don't really know the lads, but you know their face, you played against them and that. So it, it was just really easy. And um, Nicky was playing with Bish, so I was sort of struggling to get in the, in the team. Um, and I, I don't know if you remember, I, I played right back against uh, Rochdale. That was like my first start and we drew with them. They won the league that year. And like... It, Hendo was just like, bide your time. The boys are doing really well. I want you here next year. You're going to be my centre mid. He thought Bish was obviously staying. Um, and yeah, it sort of come around. So I did bide my time. And then actually got my first injury, which I ever had. And I was out for a few weeks. So again, found it difficult to get in the side. Uh, and the boys ended up staying up in the last week, if I remember rightly, on the Tuesday night. Yeah, so I mean, <clears throat> they, they were playing well, and there were some really good players around that time. Ian sort of jokingly mentioned the the, the old song that never took off the the Albert uh, Adoma, the, the Yannick Balassi, and the, the Micah Hyde, and then obviously yourself in the middle. I think there was an Albert Jarrett in there as well, but didn't quite make the song actually. But you know, you could adapt it quite easily. And I think should add, Ian gets co-writing credits for that one as well. That wasn't just like. Um, Talking to those players, I mean, Michael Hyde had played a lot, lot in the Championship and, and, and leagues above. And you, Albert, uh, Albert Adoma went on to be Albert Adoma, and Yannick Bellassi went on to be Yannick Bellassi. What was it like for you sitting in that that midfield when that when that four played? That must have been quite a big deal, quite exciting. Mm, so the start of the next year, Albert and Yannick were there, and Heidi come in. I was just perfect for me because he just sat and kept it simple, and I could just turn around and give him the freedom just to go and get my tackles in and get booked every other week and stuff like that. And just literally get it down and give it to the wide men and try and get myself in the edge of the box because they were just, they were so good, especially podcast downhill second half. You just give them the ball second half and it just that outlet was, was frightening. And was, I didn't, I didn't think at the time they would get that far, but look, they've done it unbelievable for themselves and fair play to the boys. Yeah, no, they really have. And like we said, you know, there was quite a bit of quality in that squad at the start of that season. You know, Paul Furlong's in there. Gary Bream was still playing a bit less into that second season, I think, because he was sort of focused on the coaching. But, you know, and, we, and we've talked to other people, Jake Hyde, John O'Flinner in that squad, that there was a lot of really good quality players there. Um, and the start of that following that first season of, uh, you know, your first full season was absolutely fantastic. And, um, you know, we were top of the league after five or six games. Um, you know, mentioned previously that re- relatively speaking, that's a bit of a golden spell for Barnet to be top of league two. Um, I just wondered, you know, if, what you remember about that start to the season and, 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 you know, did you believe that that team could have gone on and kicked on and really achieved from that brilliant start they had? Uh, at the time, I was probably just thinking it is a good start because we, we'd done the same with Chester two years before. I think after 10 games, we were top and we played MK Dons who went up and was like, oh, and I sort of knew from that experience. And I remember having the chat with Heidi as in Jake going, look, the season doesn't really start the 10 games. Don't get carried away. I've been here before. Um, but the Northampton game on the Friday night, I'd booked the flight to go home on the Saturday morning. And uh, yeah, it was a boozy weekend because we we're sitting top of the league. Uh, <laughs> great. And I remember Hendo as well, been absolutely buzzing up that night in the change room. Do you know, we've done eight weeks pre-season, going into five or six games in and top of the league. He'd, he'd obviously done his job properly, recruitment-wise. Funny you mentioned those things, actually, because we had Jake Hyde on 
uh, a little while ago. He also mentioned people, I think he might have mentioned you, but he mentioned a, a few people in the squad that calmed him down uh, yeah. <laughs> from a little bit too overexcited about being top of the league. And also, whilst we're talking about things that are similar and that we remember, I think it was quite a boozy weekend for us as well. Uh, that weekend. <laughs> we, that was on, we ended up getting a, a cab back from Northampton, didn't we? I don't, I don't know how that <laughs> happened, but I remember a taxi all the way to Barnet with about five others. Yeah, yeah, we got to, we we got back to the train station. We were we were battered that night because we'd obviously been we we'd been drinking during the day, as as was the case that normally happened. We were back and we got back to the station. I think it was like a forty minute delay. We just saw a cab outside. Said how much back to London? He said hundred quid. There were seven of us. Right, jump in. Let's let's just let's just let's just take the hit. I'm sure we got him to stop for cans on the way home as well. Um, that was just Almost the way. It, that was that was just the way it was back then. But um. Yeah, we top of the league on the Friday night. Um, a, a, a common theme with this podcast tends to be sometimes that uh, we start well and then we tail off a bit. And we always make a joke amongst ourselves that we always try and avoid the phrase, what went wrong? Yeah. But, but it, it did go wrong, unfortunately. And, and you know, throughout that season, things started to tail off um, and we didn't maintain that good start. There's such great names within that squad, like we've spoken about. What do you think it was that um, that meant we couldn't sustain the start that we had in that season um, all the way through to the end? Oh, look, the, the main thing is we didn't have the squad. I think our starting 11, 12, 13 was good. But then I can't remember us having a subkeeper the whole time I was there. You know, if one gets injured, you're panicking little things like that. I think if Rainey didn't play them, we were always struggling for centre-half and that chopped and changed a hundred times that year. Um, but it's just, goes back to your, the budget was small. You could, you had your money on the pitch and if anyone, I was usually me probably got suspended, but if someone was out, who comes in? I don't think that depth was there. Whereas your MK Dons, you know, ridiculous budgets, four times or if someone goes out, someone just as good comes straight in the following week. So, that's that's the biggest thing I think just the depth of the squad but on our day beat anyone <laughs> yeah we did at the start of the season at least anyway we were and it's weird isn't it because it, exactly as you say it kind of just fizzled out as the season season went on and I think it, you know it all got a bit a little bit close towards the end and actually you already mentioned it unfortunately Ian Hendon ended up parting ways with the club and moving on which was uh, you talked a bit about that maybe you talk a bit more but also maybe mention what it was like for you when Paul Fairclough came in, because whenever we've spoken to other people, they always talk about it being a very different style uh, of management uh, with, you know, Ian to Paul or, or, you know, both ways. What was that kind of transition like for, for a player like you? Uh, it was okay for me. I think it was okay. Um, I knew I was sort of playing well. So I was just, I didn't care who was in charge as long as I was in the team and I'd do everything to get in the team. So uh, I think... When he left, I think, did Paul do two games that year or was it three? Yeah, just the last two. Just, just the two, uh, yeah. Last, last two. And I think we didn't even actually have to end up winning any of them, I don't think, which was even worse for Hendo. Um, because, again, I had spoke about a new deal. He talks about making me captain the following year. And then um, to see him get sacked, was just like, no, oh, this, is, this is what football is all about. And that was sort of the story of my career, people getting sacked. But um, Paul come in and he, he was really good. Do you know, I, we were a bit upset that um, Hendo was gone. And um, I think Brini stepped up with him. And honestly, we bought into it. Unbelievable. You know, Paul's meetings, he's England seed. I, I think I've still got the blue book, as everyone's probably told you about. You write down 
good things about your playing partner beside you. Uh, so stuff like that we bought in. You just felt confident on the Saturday. Yeah. I think we did. We felt confident going out there and we were well prepared. But again, that was for two games. And I think it came in the following year. It didn't quite work out. But yeah, the first time round, it was uh, it was good, really good. Yeah, well, it had the desired effect, didn't it? I mean, I remember that, you know, you're saying that that season, that the really good start helped us in a way because it had given us a bit of a cushion of points. But um, yeah. if I remember rightly, in the run-in towards the end, towards the end of Ian Hendon's era, unfortunately, we had about five chances where if we'd won, because we were that much further, we'd have, we'd have been safe at like the beginning of April. And it sort of got further and further and further on. And I think in the end, that's what led to sort of the panic button being pressed and Hendon leaving with two games to go, which at the time, which is again, also quite unbelievable for how Barnett's changed since that I think he was the first manager Cleanthos ever sacked and now Barnett had 24 managers in 10 years so uh, it was a bit of a watershed moment that one uh, to, to get rid of him um, but like you say it, it did work out it almost very nearly didn't though because in Fairclough's first game we had Grimsby away um, and obviously on this podcast we try and remember positive memories and, and, and good times but I think for the three of us certainly that's one of the worst away day experiences ever it was absolutely terrifying don't know if you've got any recollection of, of that one where they had the police horses on the pitch they were invading the pitch and they scored because it was them or us to go down and in a way thankfully we did lose that day because if we'd beaten them and relegated them I don't know if any of us would have got out of there alive that's right I do I do remember that night I thought that was the night we were late and turned up really late again but I think that might have been Lincoln away I'm not too sure but um I do remember the Grimsby one now, and then the last game of the season, uh, we drew, didn't we? No, beat Rochdale right at the end. Jarrett scored right, right at the death. But but Grimsby had lost anyway, so our, our result didn't matter in the end. That's right, and that's why I was aggrieved at the time, thinking, "Oh, Jesus, Hendo's got the sack!" Like, and we didn't even have to get any points out of those two games. But that's football, and um, yeah. Since then. As you said, there has been quite a few being sacked. So I didn't know he was the first one to get sacked. That was that's surprising to me. Um, but out of yeah, I loved loved Hendo, and uh, as I said, Paul came in and the desired fact we got the win that we needed. But I think it probably would have happened anyway. <laughs> yeah, that that Grimsby game still sends shivers down my spine. <laughs> uh, that that the, the the whole day was just horrendous, and it was just uh, a relief to get home from. Uh, from what, what was a terrible experience. But in the end, all's well that ends well. We yeah. stayed up. We beat Rochdale. They, they got beaten at Burton and ended up smashing the ground to pieces, as, as I recall, was being reported in the media. Um, but then in the following season, um, we get a new manager, a new breath of fresh air. Mark Stimson comes in. Uh, it felt like that one was a little bit of a tricky start. Uh, we played away at Swansea in the League Cup, got beaten. Uh, we, I think we drew at home to Burton in the end. And then we went to Crewe mm. on the, I think it was probably the second weekend of the season, and we got beaten 7-0. Uh, that wasn't a game that, that comes up very much in this podcast. We try and, de- we try and be positive, but we do, we do throw in a few 7 nils every so often. Um, when you're a player in a squad that's getting turned over 7-0 at the start of the season... Are you thinking the worst straight away, or are you just trying to just put that behind you and uh, or, and and just get on with the job at hand? Because it was so early in the season, I think at half time it was only two now, wasn't it? I think it, there was hardly anything in it, was it? What was the score at half time, James? Um, I've just remembered it. I've just, I, I've come back to this in a minute. I think it, I'm sure it was two 0 at half time, yeah. but I, there's a story behind this. Uh, I'll, I'll let you answer the question, then I'll tell the story afterwards. Right. I, I think I remember Big Leachy playing left back, and uh, we'd Anwar, 
and it, the back four was just a shambles. I, I remember coming in at half time thinking we've actually done okay. We didn't have a forward fit, and Burner was playing in the ten. We had five across midfield. I think Burner was kind of up front, which was a bit strange. Um, and then second half, uh, it was just a shambles. I think I got dragged. I I got dragged at three 0 So I'm going in thinking. I might get away from the brunt of the abuse here because I was off the pitch and I went four, five, six, seven. Um, but that wasn't the case. I think on the Tuesday he told me I could go. Oh wow, <laughs> that's, that's nice. So, so what happened there was you talked about getting dragged at three 0 It was two 0 at half time, and yeah. I think they scored the third goal maybe about two or three minutes into the second half. Yeah. And I distinctly remember Ian and I were sat at the front of that stand on the side at Crew, and we looked at each other and went, "We're off." <laughs> and we just we we, we we so so we so we got dragged in the same way that you did, but we made we we made our own choices there, and we just went back to the bar. I think we ended up doing shots for every goal that we conceded. Oh, <laughs> that, that 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 might have been what we what we what, a uh, long afternoon. What, it was a long it was a long afternoon. Yeah, it was a shambles. It it wasn't good enough, and I think um, look the players' reaction. I think we as I said, we had a friendly then organised for the Tuesday, and it was me and Marshy. And one other was dragged into it, so it didn't. It stunk a bit of like, oh, we're, we're out of here. And um, yeah, I think he tried to release the two of us. Wow. And, and it didn't work out. Oh, thank God he did. Thank God he didn't. Oh, thanks. <laughs> it's not always, you know, it's not always clear why some managers sort of work and others don't. Um, it's not always clear why some managers appeal to the fans and some don't. I suppose. Um, losing 7-0 early on in the season and, and maybe some of the other things that were going on didn't help. But for whatever reason, I think um, the, the Stimson kind of, or, or Masters with the fans, it never really took off in a way I think he'd had success at Gillingham and, and, and before. Um, from your point of view personally, third manager in at this point, I think it is. Um, how, how, was it, uh, how was it for you? What was your relationship like with him? Uh, yeah, other than that, that quite bad moment, I guess, where you thought you might be released. And... Um... It was bad before we c- I come in. I don't know if you know, but he was the Stevenage manager. Oh, yeah. it was. Yeah, of course. Yeah, so I went in there in the January time from League One to uh, the conference. Um, I got quite a good deal, so that's why I went. But uh, I played the two semi-final games in the trophy and he dropped me for the for the game at Wembley. Oh. So I was sitting in the stands at all my family over, so I was devastated. I didn't play well in a league game the week before. Um, and then an abundance of players, had loads of players there. So there's about five of us in the stand. So obviously I had a year left. I think Paul gave me the year and at the time, even before uh, Stimo got the job. And I, was, I just couldn't believe it when he got it. Um, he'd done a brilliant job at Gillingham. Uh, I think he had a big budget there. Don't get me wrong, he'd done a great job. And when he come here, again, it boils down to budget. One of your two of your big signings don't work, you're in trouble. And uh, I'm not going to name names, but a couple of his signings just didn't work. And the rev- that was evident in the 7-0. And he actually tried to get rid of them as well, but he couldn't get them out. Um, so he knew there was a problem. But when lads are under contract, they're not going to go anywhere, especially three games in. And probably especially at Barnet, because they're probably thinking, you're probably going to get sacked before I leave. And that, that's really harsh, but that's what I was thinking at the time. And then I got back in the side or whatever. And then, unfortunately, he lost his job in December, I think it was, or October. Well, to, to name one name, and, and again, I wouldn't put words in your mouth or expect you to comment necessarily, but I think um, when things are going against you, and obviously you've, you've got your own family as part of the squad, and that wasn't really working out as well. 
um, I think that that um, added to maybe some of the fans getting, you know, when, when you're maybe short a striker anyway, um, and you've got a player that looks a little bit short. I remember Ian, you being particularly uh, aggrieved with uh, with that with that particular player. Is that true? Yeah, I mean, it, it was it wasn't a great era all round. I don't think anyone any Barnet fans really particularly fondly remember the Mark Stimson era um, in in any sort of context. But you know, like you say, and, and I think if as you went through that season, a lot of those players sort of drifted out by December, by January, sort of similar time to him, or even a few going before. And um, you know, looking at the squad appearances for that season, the, the number of players we used was quite significant. And there's players you've sort of. I'd, I'd forgotten even played for Barnet because they played a few games at the start that didn't work and it you know chopped and changed chopped and changed um but uh you know as the season went on we did add some quality in there you know Isaac McLeod came in Sam Deering came in on loan a bit later obviously Mark Byrne I think signed went back to Forest where he was on loan from and came back again so there's some really decent players there and, and you know as we said Fairclough came in for a second spell and sort of steadied the ship but um things were looking pretty bleak and I remember a game that sort of stands out for me is what felt like the writing was on the wall and it was dumb as we played Morecambe at home in the middle of March that year and we we had to beat them. We, we were right at the bottom and they were like sort of just above us, but I think six clear. We lost with nine points adrift of them. Um, I remember walking out of that one really thinking it was all over. Um, I suppose from the perspective of someone in the squad, uh, you know, was there a point where you started to maybe even be resigned yourself to the fact that we've got too much to too much ground to make up here, you know, we're not going to get out of it? Or was there kind of still that positivity, you know, thanks to maybe Paul Fairclough's kind of style of management that we could maybe get a big turnaround before we did what happened next and press the Martin Allen button? Yeah, um, just quickly touching on who he signed. Um, Aizel, he signed Aizel and Kaba. And if yeah. they were fit, we wouldn't have been in, in trouble. And the big centre-half, the Irish fella, Darren. Denny, uh, yeah, good player. He broke his foot. So there, there's three main signings, probably his three big earners. So Stimmel was unfortunate to lose them three. And I think when Paul got back, it got the job. These guys were fit. I think didn't didn't Cabra get four against Burton? Yeah, yeah. That was I that year. So when he played, he had one knee. Great lad, great in the change rooms, but like he was too good for the level when he played. So Stimmel was very unfortunate that way. I'll give it to that. Even though we didn't get on. Um, yeah, but going back then to nine points adrift, I was just happy to play. Do you know, I was you know, when Paul came, I was just like give me that confidence. He knew what I'd done the year before, sort of knew, all right, I'm going to get a little run here and not get dragged after 60 if we're losing again. And it uh, goes back to the confidence one. Um, he stayed, although, again, he come back with the same ideas for two or three games and we didn't quite get the results. And then it was only when Martin come in, obviously things turned around. Yeah, and uh, Martin Allen came in uh, and does what Martin Allen does and things shakes things up, turns them on their head. I remember the, the, the first game was against Chesterfield, wasn't it? When Sam Deering scored one absolutely ridiculous goal and then another absolutely ridiculous goal, which wasn't meant to be a goal. I think he crossed it and it went in at the far post, didn't he? And then of course there was the, there was the Burton Burton game when Steve Cabber just went nuts in the second half and scored four. Yeah. Uh, and we will come back to Burton. Don't worry about that. And then we won again. Yeah. Um, and then Martin Allen goes again. So, like, it was a whirlwind, a complete whirlwind for the supporters, uh, a complete whirlwind for everybody involved with Mike Football Club. In that brief spell where you worked with Martin Allen, you know, what was he like to work with? I, I don't know if you came across him before in the game or was that your first experience of working with Mad Dog, as it were? That was the first experience, yeah. So, ah, oh, he was brilliant. You know, he's absolutely brilliant. When he, 
when he first came in, he actually put a clipboard and just give the captain at the time a pen and write what went wrong, who do you not like? So we just sat there for 20 minutes and wrote down such and such was going on, blah, blah, blah. Um, yeah, a few people obviously coded the old manager and, and coaches and stuff like that. So I think he come in and he ripped it up and we went, is that out of your system now? You know, and we were all like, yeah, and he go, fresh start, just simple things like that. His meetings were just priceless. And um, again, though, he if you go back to recruitment, I think he brought in Jude Sterling and a goalkeeper straight yeah, away. Okay. It's exactly what we needed. And wasn't it, he's still playing. Um, Big James, the goalie, went through, was he, was he at Reading? Is it James Walker? Sam Walker. Sam Walker, I think. Yeah, he's, oh. he's done all right. I think, I think he's at, I want to say Colchester. He's definitely in the league somewhere. Yeah. He is. He's still going. So we were doing 11 v 11 and he stopped it. Everyone off the pitch. Sam going standing goal and Jude standing on the halfway line. So he's rolled Sam a ball and he went kicking as far as you can and nowhere to belay. On the training pitch, you know, it's a bit smaller, but it's bounced once and went over the far bar. And then he's went Jude on the halfway line, throw us as far as you can throw it. So he's threw it from the halfway line into the box. And he went, turned around to 22 lads in the sideline. It's a simple game, lads, isn't it? We have to get the ball into their box. Everyone's just bought into it. It's, it's just simple things like that. But his recruitment was brilliant. He knew what the side needed. Got Eisel and Cavs fit. Well, they got themselves fit. It was just one of those things. And one, three in the spin, and then he leaves. As I say, it, it feels weird because every time we uh, talk to someone about Martin Adam, there's an inevitable bit where we go, and what was it like when he left? Um and, and add to that, we've sort of been chatting for about half an hour, and I think I've asked you that four times or something already yeah. as well, about various others. But um, I think from a fan's point of view uh, in particular, I'm going to do my best to speak for fans, that that felt like a really big one when, when Martin went. That was um, obviously one that probably left people quite upset because it wasn't off the back of things not going so well. It was the opposite. Um, from a squad point of view that's just been picked up, and you know, Ian mentioned Sam Deering, I think of him as one of those players that, that really came to life during that period of time. And still, I think one of the more exciting players that I got to see at Underhill, definitely. And um, what was it, what, what was the reaction from the squad at that moment when, when you, you know, realise he's off? Oh, you probably heard the story. We just come in for training on the Monday after beating Burton, I think, or someone on the Saturday. And uh, the back car park, he used to do meetings at strange places. So we'd be like, come out the back door and there's a little mini roundabout and he's coming in a big, uh, people carrier with his missus and he just got out and the dog was there and he went I'm leaving lads we were all going oh this is another one of his meetings and he's no, no I've got the job at Chet it's Chesterfield no Notts County I think no. sorry Notts County that was it he went got the job at Notts County I need the security uh, don't be worried don't worry you lads will be fine you'll stay up that's why I'm leaving because I know you're fine and uh, I think subs at the time Glenn Southam was like Gaffer, can we not say anything to convince you to stay? <laughs> and he was just like, didn't even answer it. Got in his car and drove off. Priceless. And he just drove he, he drove straight up to uh, Nottingham. But I think he sent a text or he might have rang me later on that day. He went through every player and um, he made sure he replied to everyone. And was like, look, your next such and such games, you'll be totally fine. Um, you've got good players in now. Just believe in yourselves like I did. And that was it. So, yeah, mad. Yeah, that no, was, that was, it was, so, well, that was that was Alan's second spell in charge of Barnet out of five. Yeah, um, but it was the second time that he'd left at a point where you're thinking, how can you possibly leave now? So, so we were just sat there going, 
what the fuck has just happened here? Like, <laughs> I, don't, I don't know about you, but like, we were just absolutely like jaws on the floor. He can't have done it again. Yeah. But obviously, he, what he'd done was turn the squad around and, and, and put it in a position, I suppose, to, to um, get, yeah. us, get us safe. A big thing, I think yeah. Gratz had stepped up when Martin was there and it was like Gratz was brilliant with the lads and he was like, Look, we're going either way, we're going to stay up. Do you know what I mean? He was sort of the one on the training ground all the time, Gratz, G and the lads up. So we'd sort of believe with him and Anmar, to be fair, stepped up. And then obviously, uh, Chairman brought in Sanchez just to oversee it. Yeah, yeah, no, I was going to say, because obviously you said about re- recruitment and that was, yeah, the first thing Martin Allen did was talk about getting the fans on side, get a legend like Grazioli as his number two. Um, I think Gary Phillips, who had been at Barnet yeah. for a long time previously as well, had come in at that time. And like you say, I remember Amarodin had sort of stepped up a little bit. I remember him speaking really well in a few interviews around that time and, you know, seeming like, you know, a safe pair of hands with the others as well. Um yeah. And I think that, you know, the story goes that Martin Allen was quite insistent to the chairman that Gratz should be the one to oversee that running because, you know, he's got that momentum started. Um, you know, we're all, I think most Barnet fans are, are big Grazioli fans. You know, he's a hero for what he did on the pitch. And I think we're, whatever, you know, whatever the situation, we're glad that he was the man in charge when he kept us up that season. Um, what was it like playing under him? Because we've heard from other players at that time as well that Sanchez came in and even though on t- in title, Grazioli was the manager, perhaps wasn't him pulling the strings in that final bit of the running or what was your experience of that? No, Sanchez was in charge. You know what I mean? I think um, he probably done his homework before he'd come in. I don't know if he'd watched the game or whatever before. Um, That season, he might have watched the game, I think. Um, But as I said, Gratz was the one on the training ground. But Sanchez, with all his experience, um, just knew what to say in the change room. Do you know, he was, he was calm, um, he was detailed in what he said, but again, kept it really simple. There was nothing uh, sugar-coated about it. It was just, I think we were 4-4-2, so basic, but like, just go out and do your jobs, make sure we get balls in their box. But Gratz, and I forgot about Gary Phillips, obviously, Gaz and um, Anmar, just we just had a bigger group, you know, and it was everyone was connected then. When when things were going bad at Barnet, it was like separated, and man, well, coach saying this, manager saying that. Martin just got that little group together and yeah, Grax was the key figure, but but Sanchez was the manager, yeah. But just just to be clear, absolutely officially for the record, Giuliano Graziolia, sorry, Giuliano Grazioli was the manager. He kept us <laughs> up, he's the man in charge. I we'll tell you what on. he did. He he was brilliant though, because he got I don't know if he got the lads a few quid. Oh um he's he said the group would get 10 grand to stay up. And we were all, oh, that's not going to come. But that last day when, when we won, I think we stayed, we stayed to the ground about half six, seven to get our money. <laughs> <laughs> that, sounds, that, that sounds about right. That, that 10 grand probably came out of the money that Martin Allen was going to be owed. But, you know, that, that, yeah. that, 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 that's fine. <laughs> I do remember um, hearing the story, actually. And I remember um, it, you weren't supposed to have to wait until half past six in the evening, if I recall. It was more that uh, it took a little bit of convincing or a little bit of waiting to make sure that that, that cash appeared that day but uh there was a few lads weren't leaving we were upstairs in the lounge at underhill obviously drinking beer and stuff and um i think it was andrew Eddy was i think he came up and said oh, all all the all the registers are the cash is gone from today it's not going to come <laughs> and uh i can't remember who it was but we were persistent but i know it was Gratz and anwar and they divvied it up to give the lads that played a bit more so um yeah it was a nice little touch to end the summer I imagine it's probably ten thousand minus the beers that you drunk, but we'll come back. <laughs> we'll, 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 we'll get to we'll get to that point in a bit. But you know, 
the when Martin Allen left, he'd obviously turned the turned the tide to a point where the momentum was there. But because we were in such a difficult position to start with, we still had to go on a decent run of results. Yeah. Um, everyone remembers the, the the day at Gillingham where Isle got a hat trick and and Penenka'd a penalty into the stand, but we 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 forgave him for that. Yeah. Um, that was a legendary away day. Uh, and then you scored against Oxford. But we, we went away to Atkinson, which has never been a happy hunting ground for us. And we lost there. Yeah. And we went into the final day uh, needing favours and needing a result against Port Vale. Yeah. Um, we had our own little day out for Port Vale. Again, I keep bringing it back to us. But we went on to um, Soccer AM that morning uh, and enjoyed that one. Yeah. But we needed a result and we needed Lincoln to lose at home to Aldershot, which, of course, yeah. they did. Um, Clearly a massive day in the club's history. It's the second time in a row that you've done it. Um, other than the 10 grand, what was your uh, experience and memory of that day? Uh, it's actually one of the ones. I, I remember thinking I actually played well. I think I got man of the match. You get caught up in it. And I, I remember Mark Marshall was in the left and him coming in at half time going, keep feeding me the ball, do you know what I mean? And um, we'll score your pen really well. And Marshall wasn't really a talker. And, he, and we weren't really mates, but I remember him afterwards hugging the lads. He was going, oh, you were brilliant today, stuff like that. So I do remember the celebrations of it all and doing the lap of the pitch. Um, can't remember too much about the game. But Isaac scored a pen, is that right? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I remember the pen. And then, as I said, everyone on the pitch and, uh, yeah, just the reruns of it more. I remember it was on BBC and... That was the first big one staying up. I think we did stay up on the last week, the year before, but this was like the first big one. It's quite funny. We spoke to people sort of leading from like the late 90s through to kind of early 2000s, that kind of 20-odd year period, uh, 2010, sorry, onwards, sorry, 20-year period. Um, and when we spoke to the people that were there in the late 90s, after a game like that, there's no question there would have been an awful lot of alcohol and everyone in the same place. As the time's gone on, that's kind of, it seems that people have, I don't know what the right word is, but maybe there's a little bit less of it, shall we say. For, yeah. On that day when, when the money did eventually arrive, was yeah. that, you know, did that go into the whip and did you all head out or, or did everyone kind of go their own way? No, one of my missus, the best friend, was getting married. <laughs> so I was late for the wedding. So I, was, I, was, <laughs> I just remember getting taxed going, where are you? Do you know what I mean? The speeches are over and stuff. But um, I was friends with subs at the time. I think we got 350 or 400 pound each and um we went straight must have been half seven straight over to the wedding reception and ended up in 195 in epping at the time and i think two of the two two or three others come maybe sammy Deering. he he showed up and uh yeah there was a few of us out but yeah people just went their separate ways yeah yeah no i think we, we've said before it's a strange thing to celebrate something where you know you finish 22nd but 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 to be honest like that that was as good as, as winning a league or playoffs or whatever it was it was such a euphoric day like kind of given as we said we were so far out of it yeah. six weeks before I think you know that that little spell was one of my favorite times definitely following by it despite the situation because of the amazing sort of finale and how it all worked out um and so after that say despite finishing 22nd I think going into that next campaign there was a lot of renewed like positivity and optimism that hadn't really been there for a couple of years going into a new season. Um, because at the time we were all delighted that Laurie Sanchez agreed to be manager. You know, he'd, he'd been the Northern Ireland coach not long before he managed the Premier League. Um, you know, he came with, with a real history and some pedigree. Um, we were obviously delighted that Gratz was involved as well. The squad looked good, you know, that we, we managed to 
hold on to people like McLeod um, and all look good. And obviously we had a new captain for the new season, which was uh, yourself. Um, and we started off fantastically with a win at Morecambe and then a really impressive result at Portsmouth in the League Cup where you got the winning goal. Um, you know, go, at that point, looking ahead, were you thinking like this, you know, this time maybe we really could do something special. We've kind of got all the ingredients in place for a really good season. Mm, I just, the whole, as I said, the whole structure was right because the lads loved Gratz and then, Sancho, was, it was good cop, bad cop. He was just so quiet and laid back and that. And he, for me, personally, he actually gave me my two caps for Northern Ireland. So I knew he liked me. He saw me playing League One at the time. And then straight away, that gives me the confidence. But you were never sure if he was going to give you a contract or not. But um, I got it. Uh, I don't know even know who decided it then. It was probably more to do with Bratz and Paul Burklock rather than Sancho because he didn't really know too much about the players. But... Um, even the training ground then was, was better. You know, they've got the Starbucks then with, with the food organised. Just going driving into training was just just felt like a proper club. You had an ex-international manager. Didn't say much, but just had the respect of the lads in the change room. Knew what to say in matches. Training was good. The facilities were like championship facilities. Uh, there was just a buzz around. Maybe that's just me because I was... Well, I didn't know until late, actually. I was going to get the captaincy, but... Um, being a captain, then I sort of took on that responsibility of just trying to lead by example. But it, it, the setup was just so much better. It was, a, it was a funny season in a way because obviously we had that better setup and we had a manager who, on paper, seemed like he had a great reputation um, and felt like we could really kick on. But things unraveled quite quickly for Laurie Sanchez at Barnet. And, uh, you know, I think he was quite. I think it's fair to say he was quite unpopular with supporters and that's probably why I tried to underline the point that we, we consider that Gratz was absolutely in charge yeah. um, of, of the club um, in the previous season. Uh, did you, like, obviously, you presumably you had a good relationship with him on the basis that he gave you the captaincy and, and the point there around the uh, Northern Ireland caps. You think you think you have a good relationship, but there was hardly anything said. It was, we never really chat. There was, I'll tell you about it later, but one, I was only ever in his office once in the whole season. So it was so strange. I think I went through pre season uh, just playing. I didn't think it was going to be captain. And then he threw me the armband against Markham. And one of my good mates, Will Haining, was the captain of Markham. I was just like, I've got to keep this now. And it just started from that day. I think he actually said to me, You've got to keep this now or earn it or whatever. It, he, he made out anyway as if he, um, you know, he had in his mindset he was going to be the captain for the whole season. But we had a good 1-0 win and then never looked back. I think then we beat Portsmouth early on and that led to the really good cup runs that year with a couple of them. It was kind of a weird season, wasn't it? Because we did have those kind of big moments, you know, with the cup run as well. I'm sure that Ian will talk about in a minute as well. But for whatever reason, we never really sustained long periods of good form. We kind of, we were in and out. Was is there anything? I mean, it might there might just be nothing. There might be lots of different things. But is there anything you can put your finger on that meant that that just didn't hold together and gel as well as it might have done for for sustained periods? It turned in January time, if I remember rightly. I think Isla had twenty goals by then, and obviously he knew he was going to leave in the summer. He was just a poacher, and then his form dipped a bit. Um, and you remember he brought three great loanies in. Uh, when so he did recognise it was turning. He brought Obita, 
uh, big actor on Downing, like great signings, what careers they've had. And he's plucked them from nowhere, do you know? So he, he was a good manager. But again, I keep saying it goes down to budget. He's probably got these lads in on £100. Our budget was spent. We, we didn't have a second 11. or We didn't have three or four good subs, never mind a second 11. So it boils down to that. And this goes back to my point. I was only ever in his office once. And um, when we got beat in the final of the trophy, you remember that we got beat in the final of the trophy yeah, yeah. away to Swindon? And he called me in about three games after. And he, he was like, it looks like the lads have downed tools. And I was like, you know, because we didn't get the Wembley, there was that big slip in the results, like getting badly beaten. And, he, and I went, look, Gaffer, I think it's something to do with the loanies. Do you know what I mean? They were probably thinking, am I going to get another year? They weren't attached to the club. That these big highs playing on Sky, good cup runs against your Portsmouths. And I think we went to Burnley as well. And then you're back to the normal league. Weren't far off. We're mid-table, but... I know better than anyone how quickly you can get sucked back in when you go on a bad run. And we went nine games without a win. I think something like that. Yeah. But it was it was down to the, like the low knees and and Isla losing a bit of form. He was he was our man that got us there in the first place. So yeah, that that's the main reason I think. Yeah, no, it was you say it was a real fall from from grace because actually in the league just before the second leg of that Swindon game, we really kind of got it together and we won quite a few. And there was talk even of making the playoffs in a late charge. And yeah, I mean, I hadn't really almost signposted it myself, but that that Swindon defeat away and we took a load of fans down there midweek and everything after giving them a really good game at home. You know, we were underdogs; they were in the same league as us, but I think they're a great example of your different budgets in the same yeah. division. They had Paolo De Cano as their manager at the time; like there was a real buzz about. Swindon yeah. as a team um, you know for you personally I suppose given what you mentioned about the Stevenage experience of Wembley and that not coming together as it should have mm. how disappointing was that defeat because that cup until you get to that point it's a bit of a kind of nothing trophy but obviously you get that close to Wembley everyone's excited everyone's believing do you feel for you that maybe it knocked your own performance or certainly morale as a result of you know going so close to such a big occasion mm. well the sack I scored in the first leg went 1-1 and then yeah. we went there and I actually came off, I don't know if you remember, I broke my nose, split my whole thing, top open here. So I went off the pitch for five minutes, come back on. They they scored, so we were 1-0. And uh, the weeks after that, I was playing with a broken nose, so my form did sort of slip. I couldn't head it, which I loved heading the ball, and I couldn't really slide tackle and commit. So I remember him saying, look, you sit out for a week and stuff like that. And he's like, Gaffer, I want to play. So he like crack my nose or whatever. But... It obviously did have an emotional thing on you, not getting to Wembley. The young lads, obviously, they were sort of training at their own club during the week and then come in and the balance just went. It just, it just went for about a month. And that's when he actually called me in, which is good management again. It was like, what's happening to the lads? What's your thoughts? And uh, sort of give them what I said about the loanings and stuff. And um, I think I actually asked him. I'm playing quite well. Can I get another year? <laughs> and he turned around and he was like, I'll put your name forward. I'm not sure if I'm going to be here. So I remember coming home to the missus going, oh, there's another one that's going to be leaving. She was going, you just have to look after yourself, try and get yourself somewhere else sorted now. But I was just naive and so focused then when the results went, oh, just make sure I stay up. We're going to stay up. I didn't think about what I was doing, even though my contract was up in the end of June. I was just, Bum, we got to stay up because I thought it would get me the better chance of moving, probably. 
But it was it. It did fizzle out a little bit, uh, you know, that that season. And I refuse to ask you about another manager leaving and how you felt about it. So maybe we we'll spin it and make it a bit more positive and say, yeah. uh, how was it when Martin turned back up again? Uh, and and did it just pick up from where it had uh, left off the season before? Yeah, we we knew we were good, you know, when Martin came in, and it, it was just a dip. And then all of a sudden, these young lads on loan had this guy coming in, different ideas. So just made the buzz come back to the training ground. And um, again, you think he's going to come in and be regimented. We played five sides and stuff. Do you know, and you have to stay for lunch, bring your own lunch, bring a lunchbox and all these lads from Premier League clubs going, bring your own lunch. Do you know what I mean? But it got everyone involved with double session. You'd go out for the double session and it'd just be head tennis. Do you know, it just, just relaxed everyone. And then there was the old guard of me and Sammy Deering uh, burner, I think we're just like, oh, we're going to win the games now. You know, it's, it's just a no brainer. So that just fed off to these good young players. And yeah, we did. Luckily, we did stay off. Yeah. Like you said, I mean, Craig used the term fizzle out. That that season, like, didn't just fizzle, it just like exploded because we went on a terrible run after that January, after the Swindon game, essentially. We won a terrible, I think we won one out of sort of 15 games or something. And then Martin came in. I remember the first game was away at South End on a Friday. And uh, we got, uh, well, Bilal Mosny, I think, scored a hat-trick. Yeah. Um, he's since turned out for Barnet and uh, turns out he wasn't as good as he was. Um, <laughs> but but Martin then got a bit of a chance to uh, weave his weave his uh, magic wand, I suppose. And then we beat ASC Wimbledon 4-0 at home. You scored again. Yeah. And then we get to Burton. And... Uh, well, I'm really looking forward to this. Um, we got to Burton and we were in a position where I think we needed to match or better Hereford's result at home to Torquay. Um, but you're like, this is your third year at it. This is your third year where we've needed something on the last day uh, to, 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 get, to get out of trouble. Um, are you used to it at this stage or is there still those nerves? As obviously, you're the captain. Yeah. So you're, you've got a sense of responsibility towards the team as well. Uh, what, what's your feeling going into that the third time in a row? I was completely used to it, genuinely. My first full season at Oldham stayed up in the last year. Last day. <laughs> My first season at Chester stayed up on the Tuesday night and then I've come to Barnet and we've done three in the spin. So I was on a 5-0 and record and I was thinking, we've, we've got a good team here. Um, going into the game, I was actually... I don't think I've said this story. I was really sick. So my missus, I think it was food poisoning. She, lasagna gate, she's just here now. It was the <laughs> Wednesday night and we were in all week. I went in Thursday, sick all night. Uh, after training, sick. I have to come in Friday, I have to come in. Train for about half an hour. Martin had us in, it was the latest session ever. Get yourselves home, watch TV. Sick all day. I remember getting on the coach, going, try and get something in me, something in me sick after the warm-up and there was this drink PAS phase I think I had about four of them just to get my sugar up and um, I was having an absolute shocker I go you probably you were just probably buzzing it behind the goal but I was having a terrible game I had no energy and then um, when the volley went in everyone was oh look how focused he is I was feeling terrible my face was white I was just like completely gone just thinking, please get this 90 minutes over with. Please just win the game. So that, that was the story behind the week leading up to it. <laughs> well, I, 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 have, I have read that story before. I, I, I've seen it somewhere that you, were, you weren't you were very well, basically. Yeah. 
And the reason you look so focused is you're just trying to keep yourself from being sick or something. Yeah. But, um, yeah. you know, we we rode our luck, I suppose, in the first half a little bit because Mark Burns scored that free kick that was deflected. It had no right to go in. Yeah. And then Burton equalised. Then Calvin Zola stuck a penalty into the Barnet fans behind the goal, which you're thinking, oh, this is great. And then the second half, I, I think, you know, it sort of turned a little bit. We, um, I think we missed a few like half yeah. chances and then... I remember Sam Deering got absolutely poleaxed mm. in the box beforehand yeah. and we didn't get a penalty, didn't get a penalty from it. But then, you know, supporters are getting a little bit nervous. There's, you know, we, there's a lot riding on this because Hereford are winning and all the rest of it. But then Cross comes in from the right, gets half clear, and it falls to you on your left foot. And uh, I remember this clear as day because I was right behind it, right behind the goal. And I've seen it leave your foot. I've seen it going in. There's no doubt that it's going in. And, uh, you know, we talk a lot on this podcast about memories of Barnet and great memories of Barnet. And I'm going to say this now. This is not just because you're on the call. This is right up there at the top of the list of all time greatest Barnet memories. You look behind the goal and I've watched this goal so many times over the years. I'm sad. I'm, I'm sad. And I admit it. that I've watched it so many times. Uh, the ball hits the back of the net and the, the, the terrace behind the goal was absolutely fucking nuts. Yeah. Right. There's me. I'm on the footage. Ian's on the footage. You can see it all going off. And then, you know, for you scoring a goal like that, you're the captain. You've delivered at the at the point where it matters the most. Um, a feeling of scoring a goal like that must be unbelievable. But then you, you've also got on the other side. I'm not very well, firstly. Yeah. And then there's half an hour left in the game. Yeah. You know, I've still got a job to do uh, to keep this side in the football league. Just, just. Just tell us everything about that goal. I want to hear all of it. It's, it, 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 it's great. Just, what, what, what was that moment like for you? It just happened so quick. I remember it was a knockdown. I remember we were playing quite well and I was doing a bit better in the second half. I think I had something at half time and the adrenaline was just going. And as it just dropped, I think that's the first goal I've ever scored in my left foot. Do you know what I mean? It's so weird. Captain just swung at it. It went in and yeah, it just erupted. Um, running over and a big Hector and all the young lads. It was just, it was just amazing. Yeah. So, so good. And um, isn't it funny how we were scoring into that end? And it was funny how Zola misses the penalty into that end. It's just, it was just, just our day, wasn't it? It's, yeah. I, it's, um, I agree with James though. It's right, it's right up there. And I think, you know, I think it's really difficult to be a hero of a football club when you're when you're there during a period of time where maybe it's not as glamorous and we, we are a bit lower in the league and stuff. Yeah. But I think that's probably the day you cemented yourself as a, as a hero of the football club. And you know, and James, you know, you mentioned watching that goal over and over. Um, I, I've been definitely with you, Andy, and at different points where we've we've watched the late kickoff footage on YouTube uh, where where that goal goes in, and then we we hear you interviewed. And I really hope you don't take this the wrong way, but. Um, what your comments after that have become a bit of a catchphrase. Like the, we we cannot use the words "I'm just delighted" without affecting a Northern Irish or a bad Northern Irish accent, and that comes up so often you wouldn't believe. Um, so yeah, couldn't, couldn't let that moment pass without mentioning it. But that that is a that's a thing now. You know that that's that's caught on with yeah. us. And, and and the legendary status, of course, is is you, you've probably seen the Twitter page, you've seen the website. Um, that photo is on top of the website. It's on, it's on our Twitter page uh, of you celebrating that goal, pointing towards the supporters. And I don't see any reason why it should ever leave it. Yeah, no, quality, lads. I think my son's involved in football and he always says, what's your best moment? It was obviously being capped by Northern Ireland and scoring that goal for Barnet. Yeah, no, and like you say, I think it cemented you, you know, in, in Barnet folklore. And I think, you know, 
genuinely at a club like Barnet, all you want as well is we're not we don't always have the best players there. We want players who really care and really try. And I think you were so well loved by the fans because there was absolutely no doubt about what it looked like it meant to play for Barnet to you. You know the way that you committed week in week out. Um, you know I saw a great photo. I think that's online somewhere we'll use it for the the Twitter page when we release this episode where you're leading the team out Underhill with the armband on and you just look proud you look like you know you, you want to be there and in those difficult years I think we had players where some of them didn't look like that so you know I think it was appreciated by the fans that commitment all the way through um, which obviously made it even more disappointing for us as supporters when for the next season we didn't have you there and I guess I just wanted to kind of get the story of, of what happened that summer because doing a bit of research before the show the club originally said they were in talks with you I think and the manager changed and it was all a bit up in the air I mean I don't know if you had anything agreed in principle and it was taken away can you fill us in on what happened and why you ended up leaving yeah it was gone as I say after the meeting with Sanchez I was just thinking um it didn't really look good you know if he was leaving it's back to square one again um but I hadn't tried to get himself somewhere else whereas Players probably in my position would have been tightly minimized, tightly minimized, just so focused. Let's stay up and then I'll get something. I mean, I played 55 games, scored five goals and couldn't get a club. It was still, couldn't get another contract for one. Um, I knew myself, I played well. Do you know what it boils down to? The year um, the year Stimo come in, the chairman, because I played so well, was like, I'm giving you a year. So, Look, he was all over me after the game, and I was like, "Am I going to sign this contract or what?" And he was, I think it boiled down to he wouldn't give me one unless he knew who the manager was, because it happened before with Stimo, and Stimo didn't fancy me, which I can sort of respect. And um, and then it went on six weeks, and we had no manager, and it was thinking, "Well, Martin's not getting it. Uh, Sanchez definitely wasn't getting it because he, he sort of told me." So it was that lag waiting and it was getting back to pre-season I was thinking I need to get myself on trial and then Martin got the Gillingham job so I'm thinking oh happy days I might get something there and I did I went in for a couple of weeks but they had a huge budget and they had good players there they won the league so he let me train with him and I remember asking him what happened with you and he went I wasn't even offered it wasn't even offered it and he he said he probably would have took it I would have stayed uh, it's just one of those things and then I think it was Mark Mark Robin, Robinson he, he, I think he sent me a text or a call saying they're going a different path um, sort of lost me another wee bit started calling round and someone offered me to go back on trial it's like no nah. I was, honestly I was asked to go back on trial so I just went oh no I'll, I'll leave it well, that path that Mark Robson took us down wasn't a particularly good path. It turned well, 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 yeah. down, down, down being the opposite phrase, I think. In hindsight, oh, yeah, yeah, it wasn't a good path. But you knew straight away. It hadn't worked previously when we went for the academy, lads. It, it doesn't yeah. work. We've got a small budget. We need our spine. Senior players know the level. And then you get the one or two on loan. But, like, it was signing after signing, I'm thinking, they still haven't signed a centre mid. Maybe I've still got a chance. And... Just never come, and he would you lose nine out of ten or something? <laughs> yeah, you talk about twelve bad, out of thirteen, I think. Yeah, you talk about bad starts in the season. season. Talk about bad starts in the season. It was yeah, we had we had two points after 13, 14 games, and then good David's come in, and yeah, the rest, as I say, is history. Um, obviously, you know, you've been a mainstay of the club for for three years. You kept us up three years in a row. Um, uh, yeah, clearly you've got a bit of an affinity for the club. Um, 
was it a special place for you underhill and 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 where would barnet rank i suppose in your career you've obviously talked about that goal being a highlight but i suppose your whole experience at barnet where would it rank in terms of the career that you had as a footballer yes yeah, top it's top because i played 144 games and i don't think i've done that anywhere else and when you go when you go to lawn leagues I had a good non-league career, played over 300 games, but it's not the same buzz, not getting in the car and going to training. It's nowhere like it. Um, yeah, it, it's definitely top, and I just wish it was um, it was longer. I really felt it should have been longer, because if you go into that year and you, you don't go down, do you know what I mean? And Martin then did come back in. It, it could have went from the three years to ten so quickly, because Martin was back then, and you would have been in it so that's what's even more frustrating because he knew he liked me um, but yeah it's a no sore grapes uh, I could be back one day as a coach yeah. Well, yeah, I, mean, I, I think when it comes to Underhill I think you you know that period of time and, and you being there still features a lot of the in a lot of the memories even though the, maybe the big moment was away, away at Burton and I, I'm talking of sort of random memories from there I do remember I'm pretty sure I was with you Ian we were in the bar after a game and and you walked in, Mark. I think we've been at home, home to Morecambe that day. Um, and I mean, you look really quite quite serious. And I look at how focused this guy is. Even after the game, he's really focused. I think we we came up to you and sort of said hello. I think you were getting something to eat or whatever. And um, you were just a little bit distracted. And we thought, this guy's super focused on the game. And then you were like, I can't find my wedding ring. If I go home without this, I'm in a lot of bother. <laughs> so that was kind of like those random underhill sort of stories that you get. But um, out of interest, have you been over to the, the new ground and seen the setup there at all? Uh, yes, sir. I played Chelmsford. So I was captain at Chelmsford and news come and we drew 1-1 at our place and then went back to the new ground and um, yeah, we had a tour. I think you beat us 4-1. That was the year you won the conference. You were a good side. Yeah. So I did play that there. I think you give I give you the first goal. I tried to head it back to the goalie. <laughs> Akinde just uh, skipped in in front of this, the keeper and just rounded him. But um, so I have I've, I've been back playing once, which was great because I got a brilliant reception. I think it was a Tuesday. There wasn't many there, but it was lovely. Yeah, and that lie, the Chelmsford lads were like, "Oh, did you play play here?" And I said, hey, "Yeah." <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, well, as you say, you know, you played for Chelmsford, and I know that's part of you know a few different clubs, uh, Bishop Stortford and um, Eastleigh, and then most recently playing wise was at Chesham. Um, someone may have shouted to you that you're a Barnet legend at Wingate and Finch this season. Not sure who that who that was uh, at full time, <laughs> but uh, you know, and rightly so. Uh, and then obviously recently you've you've just taken on the uh, role as assistant to Kevin Watson, who also had a short spell playing for Barnet um, at Billericay Town. Uh, so the coaching career has obviously started. Is the aim one day to be a number one, you know, the manager somewhere? And, you know, could we see you in the dugout of the hive in the future? Uh, so I'm 37. I've got my A licence. Uh, I was player coach last year. as Chesham's assistant, sort of playing centre half, you know, put on a bit of weight. It wasn't lost that wee bit of desire. And I like the beer too much. And uh, the level wasn't great. I was getting frustrated. But then I flipped so last January, flipped straight to assistant, stopped sort of playing. And I absolutely loved it. Took the pressure off playing. I could take all the sessions. We're only Tuesday, Thursday. And then um, just left. Chesney, we were sitting second. So brilliant. And then everything happened. We got locked down. And um, a good friend of mine, Kevin Watson, who was player assistant at Bishop Stortford, got the Billy Ricky job. So, um, 
he offered me the assistant role, hung up the boots just this year, or literally a couple of months ago. And then again, we've been locked down, but we won one Drew once. We've had a great start. So, yeah, look, Mark, thank you so much for your time this afternoon. Uh, we've absolutely loved reminiscing about lots of uh, good, bad, and all sorts of times at Barnet. Um, but, you know, thank you, as we say, for all the effort you put in on the pitch and, uh, of course, for that amazing goal and moment at Burton Albion. And we wish you all the best going forward at Billericay. Thanks very much. Really enjoyed it, lad. Robinson on. He's and there's goal of the season, Frank Murphy. Giuliano Grazioli. Oh, absolute quality. I'm sure most people would say I was mad. It's so brilliant. That can play it. Lovely stuff from Curry. Not a bad try. And that's a terrific.